Hello, and welcome to the podcast Buffy and the Art of Story Season 4. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. Today we are talking about Season 4, Episode 16, Who Are You?, where Faith and Buffy literally walk in one another's shoes. I am Lisa M. Lilly, novelist and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. As to who are you, in particular, I'll talk about whether the same character, Faith, is both the protagonist and antagonist here, weaving the Adam season arc seamlessly into the main plot and the key subplot, external obstacles that show Faith's internal conflict, and how the body-switching metaphor and two different three-beats convey the theme, show characters evolving, and move the story. There will be no spoilers except at the end to talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. Who Are You aired the first time on February 29, 2000, and it was written and directed by Joss Whedon. In my view, this is one of the best written episodes in Buffy, and while it serves as a part two of a two-part Faith Buffy storyline that began last week with this year's girl, and it will continue in two parts on Angel, it is a complete story on its own. We begin with the opening conflict, as we should. That conflict draws the viewer into the story. This one picks up right where this year's girl left off. So viewed as a two-parter, the end of this year's girl was the midpoint of the double episode. So with the midpoint in a strongly structured story, we usually see the protagonist make a major commitment or suffer a major reversal. So in that episode, Buffy suffered a major reversal by being switched into Faith's body and Faith fully committed by becoming Buffy. In this episode, though, that has already occurred and Joyce and Faith in Buffy's body are outside the Summer's home. Police cars are there and Buffy in Faith's body is being taken on a gurney into an ambulance. The detective tells Joyce and Faith it's good they called. They've been looking for this girl since she broke out of the hospital and she'll go to jail once it's clear her condition is stable. Joyce just hopes Faith gets some kind of help. This is a nice transition from the fierce Joyce we saw in the last episode when Faith was holding her by force and Joyce said that Buffy was going to kill her. But now that the threat is neutralized, she can express her compassion for Faith. The camera focuses on Buffy in Faith's body on the gurney. She's barely conscious and we shift into her point of view. Everything looks fuzzy, and she sees Faith as Buffy taking Joyce's hand and looking at her, basically twisting the knife. And the detective says, I'm glad we finally got the kid. Faith says, she's not a kid. I just mean that she's very strong. The detective responds, yeah, this Faith chick, definitely dangerous. Faith watches the ambulance pull away and says, she truly is. Every line of this scene both conveys information or exposition 
and causes conflict, which starts our story very quickly. And we go to credits at 1 minute 27 seconds in. We return, we're inside the Summer's home, and Joyce says Faith. And she pauses so long that Faith turns around, clearly worried Joyce has recognized her. But Joyce goes on, why do you think she's like that? Faith doesn't seem interested, and she says something about, well, she's just a nut job. But Joyce doesn't see what could drive a person to that kind of behavior. Faith responds, well, how do you know she got drove? I mean, maybe she likes being that way. And Joyce says, I'll never believe that. I think she's horribly unhappy. Faith appears not affected by this. She muses that things might be looking up for Faith. She bets there's some big old Bertha just waiting to shower her ripe little self with affection. And Joyce is shocked and says, Buffy. And very awkwardly, Faith says, I'm sorry, Mom. It's just when I think about how she might have hurt you, I just, I can't stand it. Joyce hugs Faith, who breaks away, claiming it's because she's sore from the fight. And Joyce says she misses her. And Faith responds, because I haven't visited, right? I knew it. And this is a callback to this year's girl and Faith telling Joyce, you know, Buffy doesn't need you anymore. She's moved on. She doesn't care. But Joyce now says she understands about college, but she'd like to spend some time together, quote, some night when I'm not being held hostage by a raving psychotic, end quote. Faith's expression becomes still and she says, count on it. This look at herself from Joyce's perspective has to raise so many conflicting emotions for Faith. First, that Joyce is showing compassion and empathy for Faith, trying to understand her, and yet doesn't sugarcoat the way Faith acts and where she is mentally and emotionally. For now, though, Faith heads upstairs to take a bath, and in the tub, she stretches her legs. She's clearly getting used to this new body. Afterwards, in the mirror, she peers at her face, Buffy's face, sticks out her tongue, tries out expressions, and the camera angle throughout that is just a little off, all conveying how Faith feels how dissonant everything is for her. And she practices saying things she thinks Buffy would say, sounding both uh, oversweet and very exaggerated. So we're nearing 10% of the episode, and typically that's where we see a story spark or inciting incident that gets the main plot rolling. Here it's very subtle, but I see it as this moment at 4 minutes 51 seconds in when Faith shakes her finger at the mirror and says, you can't do that. It's wrong. This is also the first of a three beat on the phrase because it's wrong. That sums up the whole story, the theme, the character growth, because here the first time Faith has gone from examining Buffy's body and her face to trying out being Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She's mimicking her, but at this point she is doing a caricature of Buffy. Then she tries multiple other phrases saying you can't do that, it's naughty, and other ways of saying it. And then in the background as she peers her mouth shut into the mirror, there is this almost unhinged laughing. She's laughing in the background. This scene is a lot of what shows us that this story is about faith versus faith. And yet, though it is primarily an internal struggle with herself until the very end, there are no scenes where faith just sits and thinks about things. And we don't 
get Faith doing a monologue or even a dialogue with anyone saying, oh, I'm really struggling with these two parts of my nature, which we wouldn't expect from Faith anyway, but we don't have her telling us any of it yet all the external conflict we'll see, all her conflicts with different characters, the things she does, the obstacles she faces, take us through this story of faith versus faith and who faith is. At 5 minutes 14 seconds, we cut to Buffy's story. She's in the hospital in Faith's body, kicking, yelling, trying to get away. And she says, I have to go home. She's with my mother. And there is such panic in her voice. But they just give her more drugs. We cut to Willow and Tara. Willow is wondering where Faith is now. And Tara responds, well, you should be safe. Nobody knows you're here. I mean... They don't even know I exist, right? I know all about them, but Willow reassures her that it's not like she doesn't want her friends to know Tara. This is such a beautiful way to weave in the Tara-Willow relationship here. It latches onto that previous scene that Willow would be worried about Faith. She doesn't know what's happened. Faith is a major threat. And then such a fantastic way to bring in Tara's feelings about, hey, on the one hand, you're safe. No one knows about me. But also, no one knows about me. What, you know, what's going on with that? Willow goes on to say that her friends are this group thing that revolves around the slaying. And Willow says, but I just kind of like having something that's just, you know, mine. They smile at each other. And then Willow says she should check in with Giles. And as she walks to the phone, Tara says, I am, you know. And Willow turns back and says, what? And Tara responds, yours. This scene, so powerful, partly because it says so much without directly saying it. Even, even when Tara says that part about they don't know about me, she doesn't actually say the, hey, why don't you tell your friends about me or I feel bad, but Willow answers. She answers the subtext. At 7 minutes 19 seconds in, we cut to Faith. She finds Buffy's passport, orders airline tickets over the phone, back when that's how you did it, using Joyce's credit card. And Joyce comes in and tells her that Giles called and wants Buffy to meet her friends at his apartment. He has news. Faith asks if she can borrow a lipstick. It's Harlot. And when Joyce tells her it's the same one Faith picked, Faith tosses it to Joyce and says, burn it. Side note, sometimes I watch these episodes in French because I'm I'm trying to get better at it. I've forgotten most of whatever French I learned in high school. But when Faith tosses the lipstick, it's translated in French, she says, poubelle, which is the word for trash. At 8 minutes 38 seconds in, Buffy in Faith's body is in the back of a police car, an armored truck pulls into its path, stopping the car, and those thugs from Giles' apartment in the last episode now have guns and they break the back window, drag Buffy out, and take her into custody by order of the Watcher's Council. We then cut to Faith entering Giles' apartment. Throughout this uh, scene, we see Faith struggling not just to be Buffy, but with the fact that she doesn't know things that Buffy should know. So here she looks around and says, oh, the Scooby gang's all here. Willow, Xander, and she looks at Anya, who she's never met, and says, everybody. 
She happily tells them she kicked Faith's ass. Faith's on her way to the big house. It's poetic justice. Anya says, how's that? And Faith responds, well, she did all those crimes and now she's being arrested. I guess that's just regular justice. It's cool anyway. And this line, the words themselves, are fairly Buffy-like, but her delivery is different. And I love the layers of Sarah Michelle Gellar playing Faith, who is trying to be Buffy. Giles tells her that Faith is not in police custody. The Watchers Council sent a retrieval team, and Faith says, well, yeah, because it worked so well when Wesley tried it. A callback to Wesley in season three making everything worse. And Giles explains that this time it's a special crew that does trickier jobs, including murders. And they're taking Faith to England. Now Faith laughs and she sounds so unlike Buffy that Giles gives her a look. And she says she's sorry. She makes a serious face and says she's just happy. And that Faith is evil. Willow agrees and goes on, I wish those council guys would let me have an hour in a room alone with her if I was larger and had grenades. Faith responds, I bet I know what Faith would say to that. And she darts across the room and stabs Willow in the stomach using that same knife that Buffy stabbed her with. The first time I saw this, I thought that that really happened. But we cut to Faith. She's looking down a little. It was clearly a daydream. And Willow notices and asks her what's up. And Faith gives her a serious look and says, I'd never let her hurt you. Willow smiles and says she knows. So all of this shows how good Faith is at covering those moments where she is not like Buffy, those things she doesn't know. And some of it, I think, is that Faith is used to covering her true self or maybe not her true self, but the side of her she doesn't want to show to people. And also, she was in season three undercover with the Scooby gang for a while, pretending to be on their side. So this is sort of an extension of that. Anya and Xander are ready to leave. Anya tells them they're going to have a romantic evening, light candles and have sex near them. Faith says, we certainly don't want to cut into that seven minutes. When they get irked with her, she tells them, lighten up, they're out of danger, everything's good. But Giles reminds her that Adam is still out there. This is a great way to weave in a tiny bit of the Anya-Xander relationship and humor while still moving this scene along. And this is part of why I say this episode is so well written, because even these small character moments weave right into the scene to the main conflict and propel it forward, because these comments and this joke is what exposes Faith or could expose her as not knowing what's going on, not knowing about Adam. And Giles, he seems a little taken aback by Buffy momentarily forgetting about Adam, but I don't think we'd expect him to catch on because why would he? And it is has been a traumatic time for Buffy with Faith being back. And now Faith says, yeah, Adam, what's up with him? This reference also does a nice job of reminding us that Adam is out there so that when we see him later, we won't be surprised and feel pulled out of the story. Because we, we don't really need that reference to him here, but it does foreshadow that. And Giles says he wishes they knew. 
And Faith, now doing her best Buffy imitation, which is still a little overdone, says don't worry, they should all go have fun, she'll be out there doing her job. So we're now a little past the one quarter point in the episode, and that's where we usually see the first major plot turn that comes from outside the protagonist, spins the story in a new direction, and raises the stakes. And here we have a number of turns. I'm, I'm not sure which is the most major. I think that comes a little bit later still, but this episode moves so well because we have first Faith interacting with Buffy and her friends rather than going straight to the airport to wait for the next morning's flight or sleeping at Joyce's, either of which would have been a safer choice, less likely to lead to her being found out. But there's that call from Giles and she heads over there instead. Now Faith expands her life as Buffy by going to the bronze. And here there is something of a turn because we see her starting to have fun as Buffy. I mean, she's not doing what Buffy would do, but she is being Buffy and having a good time rather than just escaping as fast as she can. So at 12 minutes, 28 seconds in, we cut to Faith dancing at the bronze and she dances out of a crowd and bumps into Spike. And he says, oh, you. And Faith says, and you. And they do a bit of sparring. Faith is improvising uh, the things she doesn't know. She doesn't know who Spike is, for one thing. And he says, finally, well, you don't have to worry about me drinking. He lifts a beer bottle, unless you're here to protect innocent beers. He also tells her as soon as he gets this chip out, he'll be a threat again. But until then, he's as helpless as a kitten up a tree. So why don't you sod off? And I made that sound like Spike is just like, here, let me tell you some backstory. But it comes out through this conflict where he is basically irritated with her, thinks she's there to hassle him and is saying, sod off, you know I'm helpless. So Faith says, okay, and she's about to leave and this upsets Spike more and he says, oh fine, throw it in my face. Spike's not a threat anymore, I'll turn my back. Now it dawns on Faith and she says, Spike, Spike. She walks toward him, gets much closer face-to-face than Buffy ever does, and she says, William the Bloody with a chip in his head. I kind of love this town. And Spike responds, you know why I really hate you, Summers? And she says, because I'm a stuck-up tight ass with no sense of fun. And Spike responds, well, yeah, that covers a lot of it. So now Faith, perhaps because Spike, she knows, is Buffy's enemy, she feels free to basically be herself in Buffy's body to mess with him. She's got no reason to worry about what he thinks. She continues it saying... Because I could do anything I want, but instead I choose to pout and whine and feel the burden of slayerness. And she continues that she could be rich or famous, have anything or anyone. She steps closer right up against him, runs her hands down his chest and says, Even you, Spike, I could ride you at a gallop until your legs buckle and your eyes rolled up. I've got muscles you've never even dreamed of. I could squeeze you until you popped like warm champagne and you beg me to hurt you just a little bit more. And you know why I don't? He gazes into her eyes and she says, because it's wrong. 
This is the second of our three beat on that phrase. And the first time she was caricaturing Buffy, now she's not trying to sound like Buffy at all, but instead to play with Spike, playing on his perception of her as Buffy. And then she laughs and backs away, still gazing at him. And he tells her when he gets this chip out, they're going to have a confrontation. And after she's out of the frame, he throws his beer bottle against the wall and it shatters. This is the point where it became clear to me that Faith is the protagonist of this episode. So we have those three prongs for a protagonist. The protagonist should actively pursue a goal, be the main point of view character, and have the most at stake. Here, Faith has the most active goal, which is to get rid of Buffy and play out her life as Buffy for as long as she can and enjoy it as much as she can while it lasts. She's also, for the main plot, the main point of view character. We will get a lot from Buffy, who has a very strong subplot, but Faith, we are seeing through Faith's eyes the most often. And finally, she has the most at stake. Her life's in danger. Buffy's life is in danger. Buffy is at risk of of losing herself in the sense of the outer world seeing her as Faith. But Faith is at risk of fragmenting herself, of losing her entire self, not just in the eyes of the world, but, but for herself. Who she is is at stake, which is fitting for the title of the episode. But Faith is also the antagonist. The one pushing the most against Faith is Faith. Her struggle with who she is, who she can be as the slayer, as herself, and who she longs to be. And all of that plays out as she literally walks around in Buffy's body. If you're enjoying the podcast and you would like to hear more of my thoughts on Buffy and Angel, you can go to patreon.com slash Lisa M. Lily, that's L-I-S-A, M is in Marie, L-I-L-L-Y, and become a patron for as little as a dollar a month, which will give you access to bonus content that includes a breakdown of the pilot episode of Angel, bonuses where I explore character arcs and relationships such as Buffy's and Giles's in season two's The Dark Age versus season four's A New Man, and discussions sparked by patron questions and comments. Also, at the $5 a month level, you'll get digital copies of my book, Super Simple Story Structure, which lays out more about the structure I talk about here on the podcast and of my book, Buffy and the Art of Story, Season 1, Writing Better Fiction by Watching Buffy. Finally, if you are a writer or storyteller looking for some feedback on your plot, either before you finish a first draft or after because you feel like uh, it could be working better. If you subscribe at $25 a month, after two months, you are entitled to a critique of your story structure. You can find out more about the patron rewards and become a patron at patreon.com slash Lisa M. Lilly. And thank you to all existing patrons and to all listeners for your support of the show. You are what makes it worth doing.
At 15 minutes, 10 seconds in, vampires in a cave encounter Adam. He says he's been thinking about vampires. They hide from humans. They scavenge like rats, despite that they are powerful. And he asks them what they fear. The vampires try to attack him instead, and he easily dusts one and talks about how they fear the cross, fire, and, as he beheads one of them, decapitation. And he continues, you fear death. Being immortal, you fear it more than those to whom it comes naturally. So Adam, once again, is uh, waxing philosophical, and it is a really interesting point, the idea that if you are immortal or you you have that potential, that death would be even more frightening than for humans who, though we spend a lot of time trying to deny it, know that we will die, that that is part of humanity. In isolation, this whole scene could feel like it's just there to remind us that, oh, hey, there's Adam. There's a season arc about Adam and the initiative. But this too is woven in so well because it will turn out to be a catalyst for the entire story. So you could not lift this out and have the same main plot. Adam tells the vampires that they are paradoxes. They walk in both worlds, demon and human, but belong to neither, and he can relate. So here he states the theme of the episode and also of what we just saw with Spike, who is neither human nor vampire. Elements of both belongs in neither. And of course, the whole episode is about faith. She doesn't know who she is as a human being. She is trying to be Buffy and trying to be herself at the same time, but she fits in neither. Now, Buffy, on the other hand, and this is part of why I think she's a subplot, despite that she is stuck in Faith's body, she is always Buffy. She is always who she is. She's integrated as a person in a way that Faith is not. And now we cut to Buffy. There's three of these Watcher's Council guys. We get a couple names at some point, but I'll just call them Thug 1, 2, and 3. So Thug 1 says, it's awake. And Buffy says, who are you? So this is the first of the who are you three beat. It is the most basic use of the phrase. She is literally asking, who are you? You know, I, I've never seen you. I don't know who you are. I don't know why you've taken me. And the thug tells her their counsel. They're taking her back to the mother country. And Buffy tells him he made a mistake. She's not Faith. She's Buffy. Faith did a spell. They need to find her. And Thug 2 congratulates her. No one's tried that one with him before. When she begs him to call Giles, he points out Giles doesn't work for the council anymore and neither does Buffy Summers. And Thug 2 says, what you are, miss, is a package. I deliver the package. I don't much care what's in it. Thug 1 says he cares. She perverted the Watcher's council. She's trash. They should have killed her while she slept. And he bits on her face and they close the doors of the truck. They've been looking at her through these barred windows. They close it up and leave her alone with this spit dripping down her face. There is so much going on in this scene. For one, and the most obvious level is Buffy experiences how Faith is treated and gets insight into what that feels like. And then there is the level of it doesn't matter to these guys that she is Buffy, not Faith. And by extension, it doesn't matter to the council which girl is which. Slayers, girls, young women, they're all interchangeable. 
And there is the element of they are talking about faith, perverting the council, but in the same conversation point out, well, Buffy doesn't work for the council either. So it's almost as if to them, well, it's just as bad. Buffy rejected their guidance. She turned their back on them. So she deserves whatever she gets. That's punishable by death. They may even feel that Buffy took Giles from them. And I feel like Buffy has always had some insight into this. It's part of why she has always felt this affinity with Faith as another slayer, another one girl in all the world with this powerful council of of men. We've only seen men trying to run the show, giving orders, and the isolation, even if we took that away, of being that one girl in all the world with this power. But also this weight of destiny. Buffy's had a little sense of that, but now it's, it is really literally in her face. At 18 minutes, three seconds in, Willow and Tara go to the bronze and Willow's surprised to see Buffy in a group yelling chug, 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 chug to a guy who's drinking a beer or downing a beer. Willow introduces Tara to Buffy, really Faith. Willow leaves to get drinks. Faith observes her and Tara and their body language and says to Tara, so you guys been hanging out a lot lately, huh? And Tara answers, yeah, she's, um, she's really cool. Faith leans back, puts her hands behind her head and says, so Willow's not driving stick anymore. Who would have thought? I guess you never really know someone until you've been inside their skin. Tara looks down and Faith says, and Oz is out of the picture and goes on and on about how in love Willow and Oz were and how Willow just couldn't get enough of Oz. Tara stutters as she tries to answer and Faith makes fun of that, asks Tara if she's going to get that sentence out sometime tonight. Willow rushes back and points out a guy who's leading a girl out of the main room and she says he's a vampire and Faith tells her it's a good call and then belatedly realizes she's supposed to do something about that as Willow looks at her expectantly and Faith says so I should slay him. She grabs a pool cue on her way out of the main room in a sort of back hallway. She fights and stakes the vampire while the girl cowers in a corner and Faith tells her she'll live the Guy is gone. So this is the episode midpoint. For the two-parter, it would be the three-quarter plot turn, the last major turn that should grow out of the midpoint, which here in the two-parter was that body switch and take the story in a new direction. So it definitely does that, but it is also a reversal of sorts for Faith at 21 minutes, 12 seconds in, which is exactly the middle of this episode, the girl grabs Faith's hand, looks her in the eyes, and tearfully thanks her, very heartfelt. And now Faith half shrugs, says, yeah, it's cool, and walks away. And I see this as a reversal because this is that first moment where she really feels the wonderful part of being the quote-unquote good slayer, where she genuinely helps someone and is appreciated. Because remember, in season three, Enemies, where she played that that trick on Buffy and Buffy in turn played a trick on her to expose her as working with the mayor and Faith was raving at Buffy while Buffy was chained up and one of the things she said was she comes to Sunnydale she does all this stuff and who does everyone think Buffy 
And now this person is thanking Faith. And Faith has done something. Yes, she did it because she was playing the part of Buffy. She wasn't ready to be found out yet. But it's also exactly what she would do is Faith the Vampire Slayer. And she did many times. But it seems like never had that genuine moment of human connection with someone. And here it is. So this is that moment that spins the story and that sends Faith in what for her must be a confusing new direction with new feelings about what it might be like to, if not be Buffy, to to be the slayer, to tap into a different side of herself, a side of herself that wants to help people. There is also a major turn here because though we don't know it yet, Tara has recognized that Buffy is not Buffy. She may not know what's going on, but she knows something's not right. Faith's smile seems genuine as she tells a worried Willow that the vampire is dusted and all's well in the world. Willow tells her Tara's not feeling well. She's going to take her home. And now Faith becomes more uh, what we think of as herself again and is sarcastic as she nods and says, yeah, you give her whatever she needs. Willow asks if Faith will be in later or is she going over to Riley's and a slow smile spreads across Faith's face. At 21 minutes 52 seconds in, so not too far past the midpoint of the story, we get Buffy making a commitment. She is banging on the doors or the walls, making a ton of noise, and Thug 3 heads over to the truck. He's got a hypodermic to keep her quiet, but she is ready for him. She grabs him with her feet, yanks him over, gets the chain between her hands around his neck, and says, how about this? I'll be quiet and you can scream, sounding very faith-like, but we've also seen Buffy say those kinds of things. And the other thugs appear and she threatens to kill this guy if they don't unchain her. But Thug 2 says when they go on a job, they put their affairs in order first. And he says, sorry, Smithy. He and Thug 1 walk away. Talking about how Faith is starting to be a problem. They're not sure they can get her across the border. They'll call the council, but it might be time for the contingency plan. And behind them, Thug 3 is thrown out of the truck, still alive. I do think this is a small illustration of the patriarchy is terrible for girls, for young women, for Buffy and Faith. But it's not great for certain guys. And we will see Thug 3 express a little bit of compassion later. And it's clear they have no time for this. They, they didn't care if he was killed. If he happened to get crosswise with uh, an enemy of the patriarchy, well, you know what? You're probably just going to die and we don't care. At 22 minutes, 55 seconds in, Faith appears in Riley's doorway and says, hi, baby, and we cut to a commercial. Notably, also something of a reversal for Buffy, a definite reversal for Buffy, though she will not find out about it till the end of the episode. When we return, Willow and Tara are together, and Willow says they'll hang out with Buffy another time. She thinks Tara will really like her, and Tara says she's not your friend. And Willow responds, I may have overestimated the you liking her factor. I have been quoting a lot of dialogue as I've done the podcast. And at some point, I'm going to have to really dive into Whedon's dialogue and that of all the writers on the show because it is so good and so striking. And yet, in some ways, 
I feel like it's almost beyond me to to take it apart. But here, I did think a little bit about what works here. And some of what makes it so striking is the repetition when Willow is saying she thinks Tara will really like her. And then we've got Tara's line, and then we get the like her thing repeated. I may have overestimated the you liking her factor. So we have that use of similar words in a different way. And then we have the turning of those words sort of subverting them because not only does Tara not like Buffy, she's like, she's not your friend. So on one level, it's just the opposite, but there's another layer there because what Tara is saying is that literally isn't Buffy. Willow doesn't realize it. And so then we get humor because Willow really understates what's happening, which only works because we know the subtext. We know that really isn't Willow's friend. So Tara clarifies that she doesn't think this is Buffy and explains that a person's energy has unity and Buffy's was fragmented. Plus, she was um, kind of mean. Willow worries about hyena possession, which is just unpleasant. Tara tells her they can use something of Buffy's, and Willow has a ring that belongs to Buffy, for a spell that will give them passage to the nether realm. And if Willow can find Buffy there, they can bring her back. We now cut to Riley and Faith. Faith tells him that Faith won a fabulous trip to England and she, Buffy, got the consolation prize. She sits on his lap. When Riley starts to say he might have been curious to meet Faith, she tells him he wouldn't have liked her. Quote, she's not proper and joyless like a girl should be, close quote, and that she has a tendency to give in to her animal urges. So here too, somewhat like with Spike, Faith isn't really trying to act like like Buffy. Maybe she doesn't know how Buffy would act with Riley, but also she's banking on that Riley will focus on sex and not whether she is uh, seeming like Buffy. She notices that he's hurt. He tells her he's healing well, and she suggests taking him for a test drive. Riley's all in on that, and she crawls onto the bed. She's on her hands and knees and looks over her shoulder at him and asks how he wants her and says, what do you want to do? with this body? What nasty little desire have you been itching to try out? Am I a bad girl? Do you want to hurt me? Interesting that she refers to this body. And Riley says, what are we playing at here? Faith seems confused by his response and says, I'm Buffy. And he says, okay, then I'll be Riley. And she gets angry and says, well, if you don't want to play. And Riley responds, you're right. I don't want to play. And he kisses her. We get the softer music playing as they keep kissing. And the music carries through into Tara's and Willow's scene as they light candles and whisper the words of the spell. Sparkling light forms a circle around them. And they're both breathing hard as they join hands. This circle of light floats up. Willow falls on her back onto pillows and white light bathes the scene. And we cut back to Riley and Faith in contrast in darkness. So another thing that lighting candles is a nice subtle callback to Anya and Xander. Anya saying we're going to light candles and have sex next to them. Riley's on top of Faith. They're both breathing hard, not moving, and Riley says, I love you. This is the first time we've heard him say this. Faith is breathing hard. 
this part of the scene is now filmed in this disjointed way where it shifts from moment to moment, leaving out parts of the interaction, showing us Faith's perspective. And it is, Willow has, uh, Tara has talked about Faith's energy being fragmented or Buffy's, and we see Faith being fragmented here in her perception of what happens and how this affects her. She starts saying, no, no, get off, um, get off. She starts in a whisper and becomes louder as she pushes him away and gets out of bed. Riley, concerned, asks her what's wrong, and Faith says, who are you? What do you want from her? her? And it's telling in this that she is reacting emotionally as Faith, but she's asking what he wants from Buffy. She is suspicious on Buffy's part that Riley is manipulating her or trying to by saying, I love you. So this is the second time that someone explicitly says, who are you? And this time, it's not a literal question. Faith knows it's Riley, but she wants to know who he is as a person and maybe who Buffy is and maybe who humans are, because I think it's not just that she can't cope with Riley might love Buffy. There's not a place in her worldview for that someone might truly love someone else, and especially in a sexual or romantic context. Riley, of course, is is not getting what's happening, and he looks down and says, should I not have? And Faith says, this is meaningless. Here is one time I really love Riley as a character. I know that I have not been his biggest fan. But despite that he is, he has just said I love you for the first time, he has gotten far from any response he could have imagined or hoped for. It must be making him feel terrible. He focuses on Buffy. He sees that she's shaking. He stands up. He puts a blanket around her. He holds her. And all of this is about, oh, God, you know, what? what's going on with Buffy? Something's wrong. Let me be there for her. And Faith lets him hold her and says, nothing, nothing. At 30 minutes, 12 seconds in, we are back with Adam. He's pacing and lecturing the vampires who sit on the cave floor and listen. He goes on about how he has meaning that no man ever has. He knows his purpose. He was put here to kill and he has embraced that. And the lead vampire says, tell them what to do. Adam responds, you're here to be my first, to let them know that I am coming. And he tells them to ask themselves more than anything else, what is the thing they fear? So though we don't know it yet, and again, this scene feels sort of isolated and like it's just here to say, ah, you know, hey, look what Adam's up to. This will propel the vampires to do what will serve as the climax of the episode or will will set the stage for that. If you know someone who loves Buffy the Vampire Slayer but doesn't listen to podcasts, or if you would simply like to revisit season one of Buffy in writing rather than re-listening to the podcast, you can get Buffy in the Art of Story season one, writing better fiction by watching Buffy in print or in ebook editions. I also have available the first part of season two in book form. Each of the episodes is included and there is all the content from the podcast just edited to be a little more polished and shinier so you can relive the episodes that way. 
if you are a storyteller, the books also include topics at the beginning of each episode so that you can flip to the ones that you might find most helpful if, for instance, you want to read all the things about subplots or everything about character arcs. And there are questions at the end of each episode to guide you in applying what you learned from it to your own writing. You can find those Buffy in the Art of Story books at lisalilly.com slash Books or search on your favorite ebook or print book retailer. At 31 minutes, four seconds in, Faith gets dressed. She's wearing her leather pants, but one of Riley's collared shirts. We're near the three-quarter point of the episode, the last major plot turn that takes the story in yet another direction. And in just a moment, Faith will start saying things that sound an awful lot like Buffy and show a shift in how she sees being the Slayer and perhaps maybe what she could be as herself. She goes downstairs, leaving Riley asleep, and Forrest sees her and tells her Riley's supposed to be on the mend and she's not letting him get much rest. Faith tells him it's none of his business and Forrest says they've got a mission here. Faith responds, you've got a mission? I've been fighting demons since before you could shave. And Forrest says, yeah, you're a killer. And this is where Faith is responding more as Buffy would. She says, I am not a killer. I am the slayer and you don't know the first thing about me. Forrest asks if she really cares what he thinks, and she snaps back into Faith mode. But interestingly, I think Buffy might also respond this way, and she says she doesn't care. And Faith seems upset that for a second she did, and she leaves. So I feel like we are seeing this kind of integration here. Back with Buffy, thugs one and two are ready to kill her and torch the place because the council can't get them passage to England with her. Thug 3 argues, but she could have killed him and she didn't, but the others don't care. One of them points a gun through the bars of the armored truck, but Buffy is lying on her back below, her legs up, and she uses her feet to get the gun from him before he can fire. She shoots off her chains, gets out, fights off the thugs, and drives through the warehouse after a little bit of struggle with uh, how to get the truck moving, because remember, Buffy doesn't drive, but she manages to drive away way. So this is our three-quarter turn for the Buffy subplot as well. At 33 minutes, 20 seconds in, Faith is at the airport. She gets her boarding pass, and now she is dressed like Buffy. She's wearing a long casual skirt and a blue, light blue sweater. Now we cut to Buffy, still in Faith's body, bursting into Giles' apartment. She tells him not to move and to listen carefully. She's not Faith. And Giles says, really? Because the resemblance is striking. As she's starting to explain, he's shifting position, and she notices and says, stop inching. You were inching. He tells her he knows what she's going to say, and then she says, I'm Buffy. And Giles says, all right, I didn't know what you were going to say, but that doesn't make you any less crazy. 
She tells him about the body switch. He wants to tie her up until it's all sorted out, but she says there's no time. Faith could have taken her body to Mexico by now. And she tells him to ask her a question. And Giles says, who's president? And Buffy appropriately responds, we're checking for Buffy, not a concussion. She points out that he turned into a demon and she knew it was him and says, I mean, can't you just look in my eyes and be all intuitive? I love Eliza Dushku here being Buffy in Faith's body, trying to convince Giles of her being herself. And and it really, sometimes when I remember this scene, I just think of it as Buffy. I forget that it was a different actress playing Buffy. Giles says, how did I turn into a demon? And Buffy says, oh, because uh, Ethan Rain. And, and you have a girlfriend named Olivia. And you haven't had a job since we blew up the school, which is valid lifestyle-wise. I mean, it's not like you're a slacker type. But, oh, oh, when I had psychic power, I heard my mom think that you were like a stevedore during sex. Do you want me to continue? And Child says, actually, I beg you to stop. And Buffy responds, what's a stevedore? Tara and Willow burst in. Buffy starts to explain, but Willow already knows. And she introduces Tara to the real Buffy this time. And she shows them the home-conjured version of the magical object that allowed Faith to switch bodies. She tells them it should switch them back if Buffy can get a hold of Faith. Xander calls. He's looking for Buffy. Tells Giles to turn on the TV. There's a news report about people trapped in a church. And based on what they say, all of them recognize it's vampires keeping these people hostages. So these are those vamps that Adam set in motion. We cut to Faith at the airport watching the same news report. And the reporter says the assailants vowed to kill all the remaining hostages if the police try to storm the church. Faith glances down at her ticket and back at the screen. Such a wonderful, subtle moment where she know we know she is thinking okay, I I can board this plane, I'm ready to go. And yet that story is speaking to her in a way that there's no way it would have at the beginning of this episode. 36 minutes, 53 seconds in. Inside the church, the lead vampire talks about how he used to be so afraid of the church and it's nothing. It's pretty windows and lots of folks to eat. But where's the Lord, the thing he was so afraid of? And he says, well, we'll just have to start killing off his people and see if he shows up. Police pull up outside the church and uh, Riley is there too. They defer to him when he tells them it's a military situation. Faith in Buffy's body rushes toward the church. Riley tells her he thinks there are three vampires in there. He wants her to wait for the troops that are mobilizing. Faith tells him send in the troops when they get there, but she's going in. He takes her arm and tries to stop her, and she says, don't tell me what to do. I'm Buffy. I have to do this. Such a different inflection on I'm Buffy than she had with him last night. He wants to help. She jabs him hard at the wound in his side and tells him she can't use him. If someone comes out, Riley should get them to safety unless they have fangs. Riley holds his side in pain and watches her storm into the church. So we're now leading up to the climax where the opposing forces have their final confrontation and resolve it, which here will be faith versus faith. And the Buffy versus Faith subplot will resolve at the same time. At 38 minutes 50 seconds in, Faith enters the church. 
The lead vampire says he told the cops if they sent anyone in, he'd start a massacre. And I love this line. Faith says, well, I'm not the cops. I just come to pray. He tells her now's a good time to start. She steps toward him. They're opposite each other along the church aisle, quite far apart. But she moves toward him and says, you're not going to kill these people. And he says, why not? And Faith says, because it's wrong. And this is the last of that three beat. And it turns the other two um, and the whole thing on its head because now she is serious. She is not caricaturing Buffy. She is not um, playing on Spike. She means it. She gets it because it's wrong. One of the other vampires attacks. Faith fights him off and the lead vampire starts looking nervous and says, you're the slayer. And Faith says, the one and only. We cut to Giles driving up in the armored truck. He waves his arms and raves about tiny, tiny babies inside that they have to save to distract the police as Buffy runs to the church. Inside, the lead vampire says he's not afraid of her or anything. Faith suggests then he should let all these people go and the three vampires can take her on. Also very unfaith-like in the sense of usually Faith is all about the joy of slaying. Like, sure, she wanted to save people, but I don't know that she would have thought first about let these people go. Can I trick them into letting these people go? Of course, they don't. They all attack her. She dusts one vampire, and many people do escape. And so does another of the three vampires. He runs out right into Riley. They wrestle a bit, and Riley throws him into the sunlight, and he dusts. Buffy runs over throws her arms around Riley, who doesn't recognize her. She starts to explain, but then just asks how many are in there. And Riley says, well, and he looks back toward the church, starts to answer, and then looks at her and says, who are you? So this is the third of that three beat. First, we had Buffy's literal question to the Watcher's thug. She didn't know who he was. Then we had Faith in Buffy's body saying it to Riley, much more of a sort of um, emotional question, philosophical question, trying to figure him out. What did he want? What was he doing? And here it is literal in a different way. Um, Riley does know Buffy, but he doesn't recognize her. And so striking because he said, who are you to Buffy in that episode when he knew it was Buffy, but he was sick and he was essentially asking Faith's question of him, you know, who are you as a person? 41 minutes, 9 seconds in, in the church, the lead vampire punches Faith. He's standing. She has fallen back into the pew. He has the advantage and he keeps punching her, telling her Adam showed him the way. He has strength she can't dream of and there is nothing. And then suddenly from behind, he dusts. And we see Buffy there and she has staked him. And now she's facing Faith. So at 41 minutes, 19 seconds in, the external conflict is Buffy versus Faith, but we will see it is Faith versus Faith. As they fight at first, they're pretty evenly matched, and Buffy says, you can't win this. And Faith says, shut up. Do you think I'm afraid of you? She is saying this looking at herself, her own face, her own body. She grabs Buffy, throws her on the floor, and while punching her own face, Faith says, you're nothing, disgusting, murderous, bitch, you're nothing. And she bangs her own head on the floor and goes on, you're disgusting. Buffy grabs Faith's hand. There's flashing light 
Buffy, now in her own body again, falls back and off of Faith. Faith was already on her back on the floor. She's breathing hard. She looks stunned and so lost. And she first crawls and then stands and runs down the church aisle and out. Buffy watches her go, blinking, puts her hand on her own chest. Now we are at the falling action. This is where we tie up loose ends and resolve the subplots. And that climax, there was lots of build to it, um, lots of action, but I really do see it as just those moments of faith, talking to herself, beating up herself, and then coming back into her body. So now there isn't a lot to resolve. First, we resolve Buffy's subplot and a little bit of the main plot that's hanging out there. It's 42 minutes, 17 seconds in. Buffy sits on Riley's bed. Riley still in his church clothes, paces. Buffy hangs up the phone and says, she's gone, not a trace. She takes a breath. Giles says the council guys have cleared out too. Riley sits in an armchair across from Buffy and says he doesn't understand. Um, how could Faith have done this? And Buffy says magic. Riley looks down, shakes his head, and almost under his breath says, I knew there was something. I should have picked up on it. I should have just... And as he says that last part, he looks at Buffy and then looks away so clearly ashamed. And now Buffy's face changes. When she was looking down at the phone, she mostly looks sad. Her head gradually raises to look at Riley and the realization hits her and she says, you slept with her. Riley ducks his head, but then he meets her eyes again and says, I slept with you. Buffy's eyes widen. She stands. She takes a few steps in shock. And Riley says, man, would I like to get my hands on her. Not in a sex way. We close up on Buffy's face. She says, I don't think she's coming back. And Riley says, I guess she's had her fun. And we've stayed on Buffy's face during that line. And now she says, yeah. We're still on Buffy's face. It's on the right side of the screen, but the scene starts to fade, and for just a second or two, we see Faith's face coming into focus facing Buffy. She's on the left. I never noticed this before, and Buffy continues, fun. Now Faith's face comes into focus, and Buffy's fades. This is the one moment Faith is sitting still. She's riding in the back of an open truck bed, hands on her knees, surrounded by boxes. Very nice metaphor, Faith boxed in to her own body again. And she has almost the same sort of devastated stare as Buffy. And we cut to the credits. What a powerful episode in so many ways. That is all I have for it, other than uh, some spoilers and foreshadowing. Thank you so much for joining me for this, and I hope you will come back in two weeks. I will be talking not about the next Buffy episode, but about Angel. It is where Faith's story continues in an Angel-Buffy crossover episode called Five by Five, where an evil law firm recruits Faith to try to destroy Angel. It's the first of two. And remember, if you want the Buffy and the Art of Story schedule, you can go to lisalilly.com slash Buffy schedule. And we are back for foreshadowing and spoilers. That moment with Faith as Buffy with Spike so much sexual tension there. 
I feel like it really lights the match on the Buffy-Spike relationship, which started as this kind of worthy adversaries, like I talked about in the beginning of season two, this respect for one another, this sparring, even as they are enemies, move to uneasy allies in a couple different ways, always conflict. We had the the spell that, that caused their fake marriage. And they both were grossed out afterwards. But now, for Spike at least, there is this over-recognition of his attraction to Buffy. Despite that it is faith in Buffy's body, he doesn't know that. So it's so interesting to think that Spike is walking around with a memory of that interaction and thinking that was Buffy. Shifting to Adam when he says, you're here to be my first to let them know that I am coming. The lead vampire says, Adam showed him the way that he's stronger than ever. So I see in in these scenes so much of what could have been a really interesting storyline about Adam. Was there a time when the writers were thinking Adam was going to be this kind of show the vampires and demons the way? Um, Down the road, we'll get Spike referring to him as a, uh, I think he says like a a really big and ugly Tony Robbins, the self-help guru. And then I think he meant it to say, well, you know, just like Tony Robbins. But we, we don't ever see Adam doing that. Uh, We find out he has just been manipulating everybody to get to this point at the end of the season where he can create this human demon massacre and make more creatures like himself. I do love the the penultimate episode where we have the clash between Buffy and Adam. There are many things I love about that. But overall, Adam's plan for me lacks excitement. I'm not as interested as I want to be in it. I would have found it more intriguing if Adam really did see himself as the one to show the way. Now, maybe to him, showing the way means I'm going to show you how I'm going to kill you all and put you back together and recreate you. But that is that isn't really the same thing. And I like I said, I, I just I feel like it was almost a missed opportunity or maybe just a reflection of the writers not being quite sure what they were going to do with the Adam storyline. When Riley wants to help at the church and Faith jabs him in his wound, if it were Buffy, she probably would have just said, you're injured, you can't do this. Or maybe she would have touched his wound and said, this is why. But Faith like really jabs him and he is wounded, not just physically in pain, but you can see it emotionally when she walks off. And she doesn't just say, I don't want you to get hurt. She says, I can't use you. And even though he later finds out this was Faith, I have to think this informs how Riley feels about Buffy and her mission, perhaps on an unconscious level. And we see this play out later in the season and more so in season five. I've done Riley a disservice by saying the problem is that he's uncomfortable with Buffy as the slayer because probably he is afraid she doesn't need him. He is afraid he has nothing to offer to her. And despite that it was Faith doing that in his mind and heart, I think just as Spike is walking around with that memory of 
Buffy, in a way, coming on to him, playing on his sexual feelings for her, his attraction to her. Riley is walking around with this memory of the person he thought was Buffy saying, I can't use you. And maybe that's why it's so hard for Riley in season five when he feels Buffy is not leaning on him emotionally. It's more understandable to me now that Riley, he needs to feel needed. And that's a very human thing in a relationship. You want to feel that you are giving something. And I think that this leaves him feeling she can't use him. She doesn't need him. And even though he finds out it's faith, I believe that that lingers and we see the effects. Faith's comment about the Watcher's Council, well, yeah, because it worked so well when Wesley tried it. Not just a nice callback, but a call forward, a foreshadowing, because in the Angel episode 5x5, five five, she will track Wesley down and, and torture Wesley so angry at him and, and at herself, but at him for not being able to guide her, maybe not being able to save her from herself. This is probably part of her feelings about Buffy. She said it in Enemies, like Buffy's got the great mom, Buffy's got the great friends, Buffy's got the great watcher because Giles has more experience. Giles has more compassion. And she is angry because maybe if she had those things, she would have been different. And then I do believe she's driven by the fear that it wouldn't have mattered. Maybe she is just defective. She is just messed up. And all of this is played out in these next two episodes on Angel. Thank you again for listening. I do hope that you will come back in two weeks for the Angel episode 5 by 5 Music for this episode was written and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. <laughs>